it's it's Julian Assange and WikiLeaks that have returned honor to to journalism. Julian is a truth teller, and that's what has upset the those who continue what Goebbels called the big lie. Uh, John Pilger at the very top of the show, and uh, that was Anton Karras and the Third Man. Hi, I'm Randy Credico. This is Randy Credico live on the fly on 99.5 FM in New York City, WBAI.org. Give to number two, WBAI.org to support the station. This is um, a special Assange Countdown to Freedom, uh, a very special one because today is Julian Assange's birthday. That's why we are making this into a video, and it will be on the website, uh, AssangeCountdownToFreedom.com. You can watch the full video uh, later on after this show. Uh, it is Assange's birthday, 50 years old today, July 3rd, 50 years, 10 years. He has been inside, even more than 10 years. Uh, no birthday parties outside. He's in a prison, a dank prison kind of like Spandau or Albert Speer was for most of his life after uh, the collapse of the uh, Nazi regime and Nuremberg put him there. So, uh, and it's actually, Albert Speer was, was act, actually in, in much better, had much better accommodations than uh, Julian Assange has right now. He's stuck in a cell, stuck in a cell 23 hours a day and it's his birthday. Maybe he'll be able to talk to his partner. Maybe he'll be able to talk to his father. Maybe he'll be able to talk to his kids for 10 minutes. We'll see. But that's it. That's the birthday party he's getting. Uh, I was just in D.C. WBAI covered it uh, this last Wednesday on the 30th of June uh, at the National Press Club. And the day after, I uh, joined a rally in front of the uh, Department of Justice with a whole bunch of people. So this is getting much bigger. Um, I gotta tell you, John Pilger, by the way, is my guest today, that's it. That's all, I have John Pilger and that's it. Uh, we haven't had him on in a while. So for this 50th birthday, we're, we're going to uh, talk with uh, one of Julian's closest friends. And that is the great journalist, the great filmmaker, the great author, John Pilger, whose work is ensconced inside the British library. 61 brilliant films. You can get them all at johnpilger.com. Um, so Wednesday, press conference went great. I want to thank WBAI for carrying in that with Cornell West and, and uh, John Shipton and uh, Gabriel Shipton. It was the last leg of their 20-city uh, tour in the U.S. Uh, shout out to the Courage Foundation. Did a brilliant job down there. Nathan Fuller, uh, thank you for all the work you guys do. All right, so um, that's it. We're gonna, we're gonna um, play a little bit of music and uh, we'll be right back uh, with the legend, the legend, John Pilger. So see you in a few seconds. 
Randy Credico, Randy Credico Live on the Fly here at 99.5 FM in New York City, uh, a special Assange Countdown to Freedom. Uh, we're joined, as I said in the preamble up front, uh, by the world's greatest journalist, the man who has his entire collection of uh, documentaries at the British Library, uh, and uh, that's John Pilger. John Pilger, this is, you started, you know, the Assange Countdown to Freedom. Did you realize that? Uh, April yeah, 11th? Oh, April that program that Julian and I were on together. Yes. Yeah. That was it. That was the first day. It went from there for about 20 weeks, and then <laughs> it moved around uh, to different places, and you know, now it's on our website, but it's on WBAI 99.5 FM. They started it. Uh, they covered the event yesterday um, or last Wednesday uh, here in um, in D.C., where I'm coming from. And uh, John, here it is, his birthday. Today is Julian's birthday and people are demonstrating all over the world. They're having vigils at Balmorish in D.C., uh, in okay. and everywhere. So, um I don't even know where to start because we've done so many of these things. Uh, talk about how many times you've been there on his birthday, going back to the Ecuadorian embassy. Well, you know, I met Julian be before his 40th birthday. So the whole decade that Julian has been incarcerated in, in one form or another, I have known him. And uh, I, I remember not long before his 40th birthday, where we were discussing why he started WikiLeaks. And you know, that's the question that's really asked by, um, by uh, media, regular media interviews with Julian. It's, it's the why of all this. The interesting, it, it's so interesting because Julian has a very moral view of transparency. He, he, he says he regards our right to transparency of government's invested power as the same as our right to right to freedom, right to free press. It's, it's, it's our right to know what power is doing in our name. Uh, he felt that very deeply. And that's, in broad terms, that's why he, he started WikiLeaks. He sat in a, a hotel room or a, I think it was a hotel room in Paris and really invented the whole uh, WikiLeaks Dropbox system so that people could leak without, uh, without uh, the authorities knowing who it was. It was a revolutionary change. And that really led to all the great revela revelations and important revelations that WikiLeaks has, has given us. But, you know, so the man, the man has absolutely no interest in personal gain, no interest in really in self-aggrandizement. Uh, if, if anyone could I, I hesitate to say this, but endure the prison conditions and the, the, the persecution that Julian has suffered in through the last decade, he could. He didn't at times, we know that 
from the evidence, the very moving evidence given at the Old Bailey uh, last September, uh, uh, that his, his own will faltered. He's ordinary, fragile human being, really. However, for most of it, Julian's strength has been quite extraordinary. And I would call that uh, courage is very difficult to define, but I think that's courage. I think that's what he, what he did, the, his enduring over these, let's say since his 40th birthday through to his 50th has been courage. And uh, we shouldn't forget that. Right. Well, you know, I, I have a difficult time. I'm up in a cabin most of the time and by myself and I get depressed and I get lonely and, uh, and I'm thinking, what am I getting depressed and lonely about? I can walk outside. I can watch television. I can interview you. I can go for a swim. I can go to the falls, but you know, I get depressed anyway. I could never do. I know I don't have the resilience just what I've gone through the last since the pandemic and the restrictions to do what he's done uh, yeah. to undergo. I don't know how he's been able to survive it. Yeah, it's difficult to know, isn't it? I agree. I, I, I often think of that myself. We, we all go down. Uh, and, uh, but um, it's, it's in such difficult circumstances when the, the bonds that tie us are not obvious. Uh, they can be very, very hard for many people. But when the bonds that tie you down, <laughs> literally tie you down, he's in a prison cell, you know? He's in a prison cell, not, not much bigger than uh, him if he lay down on the floor. He once, he once attempted to run a half marathon in it. You know, he ran backwards and forwards in the prison cell. He didn't make the half marathon, but you can imagine uh, in his will to get fit, to keep fit, to keep sane, he, he, he ran the, the length of this, of this minute space that he's imprisoned in. Uh, so his determination to survive uh, has been has been quite remarkable, and uh, I suppose I uh, I think it has given him at times hope. Um, this determination, I've no doubt that um, the the fact that his extradition was rejected, uh, albeit in a very uh, face-saving way by the judge in January. That that has given that has given him him optimism. Uh, John Shipton tells me he's his who he speaks to Julian often. Uh, he tells me his resilience is there. So we're all hoping he's okay, and that he's going to see his fiftieth birthday. That's an amazing achievement, really. He's, he's got through this last 10 years and he really is, I think, 
I hope, but I believe, I believe he's in the home run, that when the High Court look at this US appeal, it will reject it. That will be in the autumn, not sure when, possibly October, and he'll walk free. It would be nice uh, if uh, the Biden administration would just pull it right now uh, because um, this guy has been tortured psychologically, physically to go through that. What he's gone through first in the Ecuadorian embassy in two, and a, two years and four months inside yeah. this dungeon. Uh, it's just amazing that they can't just say, all right, why don't they do that? Uh, what are they so afraid of? Why doesn't the is it they'll lose uh, face if they do it, that they'll be embarrassed that they're admitting that this whole thing was a was was a charade? Another way of looking at it, Randy, is why would they do it? You're asking the Biden administration, a run of the mill US administration. Right. Or with all with all the with all the uh, uh, the constraints on real democracy that American presidents bring, uh, you're asking them to quote you to be nice. They're <laughs> not nice. Not, they're just not nice. No, well, not, no, they're not nice. And I've, I've, the appeal to the Biden administration, like the appeal to Trump, which I sign because I'm prepared to go along with anything that might get him free, but I think is the expectation of that is understandable, but quite wrong. I don't think there's a hope in hell that the Biden administration would change course on this. Uh, they're just the same as the last one and the one before. Getting Julian uh, is is there is what they want. Right. And if they don't get him, that will be a triumph for Julian above all, but for for all of us for freedom. Right. Well, certainly one of the greatest uh, individuals in the in the past century, and I mean that as you are, uh, is locked up in this place. You know, Peter Kropotkin was locked up by the Tsar Alexander uh, in the 1870s in a in the Peter and Paul fortress, and he yeah. did exactly what you were saying about Julian. He walked around this with sunlight in Russia. Can you imagine in the in the winter time with a little window, and he walked around that room every single day to stay sane. And he finally got out, but he only did like a year and a half and he broke yeah. out. But, but, but Julian has been there for two and a half years. Yeah. And well, let me ask you this. Uh, they don't want him to continue. And they've been able to, to um, re repress his work for the last couple of years, last, even the last year in the Ecuadorian embassy when he was cut off from the outside world. So they've won in that respect. What do you think he'd be talking about now, John? What do you think his work would be focused on? Oh, Julian will be focused on probably something of it gives him intense interest. Uh, I know he's he's been interested in the other inmates there. Uh, he's been interested in their case. Uh, he has an insatiable curiosity uh, and 
that can often lead him to sort of study something. So his interest becomes a study. Uh, I have no doubt that he knows his own case uh, uh, point by point, line by line. Uh, his, he is always full of questions and views and ideas when the lawyers speak to him. Uh, and uh, that, that hasn't changed. In, in a, I get the feeling that has even strengthened that, that, uh, that interest in subjects that not only touch him or touch his case, but uh, uh, touch everybody around him. Uh, it's one of the reasons he was actually, the times he can get out of the cell, he's popular at Belmarsh. Uh, people like him. Uh, they like him. They he helps them when he can. Uh, so there is a community there. What about the guards and the uh, the warden? Does he have any relationship with them? I don't. With the the governor, as they call him. Yeah, I uh, the governor. The governor has. Uh, seems to run this as a personal fiefdom, appeals to the governor, of which I've been part of several, have gone nowhere. Uh, right in the beginning, when two years ago, when Julian brought in, it took months to get his reading glasses uh, and appeals to the governor by his lawyer, his lawyer, Gareth Pierce, uh, not only appealed to the governor, to appeal to the governor direct for uh, proper facilities, health facilities, uh, for a, a computer, for a, a laptop, for basic things that Julian could have. Some innocent man, he's not convicted of anything. He had a right to work on his own case. He didn't have the tools to do that. She appealed to the governor. Uh, she had to push that all the way up to court. She had to get a court order. Um, so the, uh, the governor who I see, I've forgotten his name now, uh, he's got OBE after his name. In Britain, <laughs> OBE means Order of the British Empire. Um, and it's quite, uh, in establishment terms, a high honor. That means you've served the establishment well, they like you, give you a pat on the head, you know, and they give something to hang on you. Uh, you never know, he may end up being knighted or something. Also ridiculous, ridiculous in the modern, in a modern era. But I suppose to these people, it matters. So the, the governor, um, when I first went to see Julian, um, in the in Belmarsh, uh, the people looked at my passport and they said, "But you're a journalist." Yes. Oh, you can't. No, you can't. Journalists aren't allowed. You can't see. And uh, I said, "Well, I'm a friend of Julian. I'm not coming as a journalist. I'm coming as a friend." Uh, well, so a certain argument. Anyway, uh, it went up to the governor, 
while I cool my heels in outside the prison. Uh, went back in, the governor approved me. So there is life in the governor's office in Belmarsh. What kind of life? I don't know. I know. Uh, but uh, there we are. Well, that pretty much answers my question. It sounds like the, uh, the warden in Cool Hand Luke, you know, <laughs> or, or the warden in Shawshank Redemption, uh, you know, that quintessential mean guy. Um, you know, here we're talking about the, um, the repercussions on him mentally and physically being in that prison emotionally. Uh, what about his family, John? I mean, on Stella and uh, his uh, kids. What about that? What kind of toll is this taking on them, do you think? Well, it has a, it has a toll on Stella. I mean, I think the children, kids, small kids adapt. They, they know, they speak to him on the phone. They speak to him on video. Uh, kids, are, kids will be okay. They want to see him very much, but they're little kids, you know, they'll be okay. Um, the Stella has, is, it's bruising for her. She, she is really the person who carries the real burden outside Belmarsh of, of Julian being incarcerated. Uh, the two of them are very close. Uh, they speak often. Julian, I know, depends a great deal on her. If you seen them in court when she was able to reach to him just through the slit in the glass, in this glass corridor that he was in. It was very touching. Uh, so it's hard for her, but, you know, she's a strong person. Uh, she knows where she's going. She's got her aim. And that's to get Julian out, and I think she'll achieve it. Yeah, she's. I think she's doing a wonderful job uh, out out there advocating. She's very active, uh, doing things. Uh, I think there's an Assange boat that uh, just uh, floated up the uh, uh, what is it, the Thames. Uh, the the thing that you, you just talked about about that glass cage, that that bulletproof glass. I was there. I saw it myself, and I did see her looking at him. I got a photo of it, actually, looking at him. And as he was standing up, a little sullen, you know, and I could see the anguish as I could see John's anguish and Gabriel's anguish looking down at him in this. It, you know, it's exactly the same environment as this glass box that he was in. Yeah. That Eichmann, Eichmann, if you look at the, the yeah. Eichmann, uh, right. and Eichmann, you know, murdered six million people. Yeah, and he's being treated the same way, although yeah. Eichmann got access to his lawyers immediately. They were standing right there. Yeah. No, the lawyers had to whisper, or not whisper, but uh, uh, I suppose try and speak through this slit in the glass. Julian had to kneel down. I was in the public gallery looking down on him like that. He had to kneel down to to see through it's absurd what's going on what's this about you know to to so, um about one of his barristers in the middle of arguing his case wants to know wants to get something get some instruction from his client julia so he has to go and whisper through the clock it's terrible the whole that whole that whole 
people would say kangaroo court it was a travesty a yeah, travesty yeah. and a stain a real stain on uh, on the the judicial system in this country I, I i totally agree you know they you, you use a kangaroo court and people use the term and i i i dis, i uh, disagree with the term kafka ask because joseph uh, joseph k they had no idea why he was being tried. Julian knows exactly why he is being tried. He knows what his crime, which are no crimes. Tell us why he is being tried. He knows what it is. And so do well, you. Well, he's not being tried for anything. He, he, his, the, the U.S. as applied to, for him to be extradited. That's what I mean. Yeah. So, uh, there's no, in effect, a trial, although you're right. It looks like it has everything about it as a trial. So there is a prosecution when it's not really a prosecution. It's somebody uh, putting forward this application to extradite somebody. And then there are those who are rep the lawyers representing him. Uh, no, he's convicted of nothing. Uh, yes, there are charges in the United States, but uh, none of those charges would apply anywhere else. I mean, you can be charged with anything in the United States, just about, it seems to me. I'm not saying that the whole criminal justice system is any particularly any worse, but it's weird. Uh, this is, these, these so-called charges go back to the Espionage Act in the First World War, which was used to round up conscientious objectors and those who opposed the First World War. So I suppose there's a connection, but they've never been used, as Daniel Ellsberg has often pointed out, until they've been used. Uh, Obama refused to use them, and it was Trump who used them, and Biden has kept going. So the whole thing has a sort of black, ridiculous side to it. But, uh, yeah. it, it, so it is, a, you're right, it is a trial, in a sense. They're, I suppose they're proving, they're trying to prove that uh, they're right to want to take Julian and try him on these absurd charges and incarcerate him forever in the United States. What kind of system does that? You know, I, I very totalitarian system. Well, and that's the thing. They give it the legitimacy. Bill Kunzer talked about this, the aura that he we're doing this legally, that term legal, you know, and people have gone to prison and died. Uh, and know. they use the legal process to make all tyrants, uh, tyrannical governments use the legal process to just give it the aura of legality, whether it be Socrates and Vincetti or Socrates or the Scottsboro boys, they give them the, like, here it is, or, or show trials in, the, in, the, in Russia or whatever, in the old Soviet Union and any, any place else. It's not restricted to just the US. People use show trials uh, just to give it the aura of legitimacy. And that's what they're doing here. We're giving him all his due, yeah. what I'm saying. It's a show trial. It's the most vivid show trial I've ever seen certainly in my lifetime, uh, and I've known the Soviet Union, uh, I've known 
a number of uh, totalitarian countries as a reporter. This, this beats them all. This beats them all because it's dressed up uh, as part of a, 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 a proper judicial system in uh, an accountable democracy. It isn't. It's a show trial. It's a show trial as, as grim as anything that the uh, Stalinist regime in uh, uh, any of the uh, regimes in uh, Eastern Europe or in the Soviet Union uh, uh, did with people who were dissidents or had annoyed the regime or whatever. Uh, this is the most this is like a caricature of it. It's also mocking so-called democracies. It mocks them. This, just the very nature of this trial, that something as Kafkaesque and as unfair, deeply unfair and unjust should happen in countries claiming to be democracies. It's part of the the degeneration and I, I think demise of democracies, the transfer of democracies to almost corporate autocracies. So corporate, that, that's, what, that's what they become. And we're not there yet, but on the way, uh, governments are bringing in the darkest of laws in this country. We've, we've just seen through go through Parliament, uh, the name of this act, I think, is the Police and Justice Act. And it, it basically gives the police powers to ban protest, to ban protest. It gives them, they've got it now, mind you, but this, this really gives them. In Australia, uh, there are, uh, there is a trial, so-called trial going on at the moment, much of it in, in secret uh, uh, of a whistleblower, an extraordinary man called Bernard Colliery. And, and uh, he, he blew the whistle on the Australian government. Um, uh, rather, his client, he's a lawyer, uh, his client, who has already been tried, get this right, blew the whistle on the Australian government uh, uh, bugging the cabinet officers of the East Timorese government so that they could get advantage in ongoing negotiations of the Timor Gap oil and gas fields. Amazing. Uh, and what a crime. Uh, 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 yeah. A big crime. <laughs> Yeah, this, but this is going on. The, 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 uh, the person who did the bugging, uh, a former member of the Australian intelligence uh, uh, system, uh, known only as Witness K, has already been tried and convicted. And, and his lawyer is about to be, is about to be convicted. I mean, I... The, these, this is a Kafka trial. Yeah. Uh, it's, a, it's sort of 
like this extradition. So these are becoming part now of the landscape in so-called democracies where governments can secretly and really inexplicably, it seems, uh, use uh, Kafkaesque laws to silence those who dissent. That, you know, that what you, what you bring up really worries me. Uh, I wasn't thinking about this, uh, what's happening in Australia. If Julian, if Julian uh, wins and is released, where does he go? Does he go to Australia where the US would apply again for extradition from there? The way you're talking right now, that wouldn't be a good spot for him. Well, I don't know, Randy. That's the answer to that. I don't know what will happen. Uh, when Julian is released. Um, I, think, I think he'd be reasonably safe in Australia uh, if he wants to go back to Australia, if he's deported to Australia. But he may well be safest here because he can't be extra, he can't go through all this again in the UK. I don't know, I'm guessing now. Uh, but it's a good question, and I'm sure it's exercising him and uh, uh, his lawyers and uh, right now. Uh, so, uh, uh, and how do governments react if, when he's freed? Uh, we don't know. He's been totally neutralized for three years. Maybe they, they let him go. He goes to Australia. They try to extradite him from Australia to the US, and then he goes through the same thing all over, and he's neutralized for another three years uh, yeah. for the Australian yeah. High Court to come up with their decision. Yeah. Well, that's one, that's a threat. I don't know whether that will happen, but it's certainly a threat. I agree. Let me, what, what, what do people do right now? I think uh, you talked about this with uh, Roger Waters um, mm. back in January. You two were on, on Consortium News yeah. uh, and talked about what is to be done. He was talking about direct action, direct yeah. action and organizing. Uh, I think it's picking up. Uh, he's The more we, people know about him, the more this tour here, what is to be done? What is to be done? Can I, Randy, before I answer that, can I just, can you just give me 30 seconds? I've just got to do something here. Okay. okay. Uh, I'm Randy Critical. Okay. This is Randy Critical live on the fly here on 99.5 FM in New York City. We are talking with uh, internationally renowned uh, filmmaker, journalist, author, John Pilger. John Pilger has made 61 films beginning with Vietnam, The Quiet Mutiny back in 1970. Uh, First, per first documentary I've ever uh, seen on Vietnam way back then. And his latest is the uh, Dirty War on the NHS. And in between, forget about 59 brilliant uh, films, uh, including The War You Don't See, The Coming War on China. The Coming War on China is one of the um, greatest uh, documentaries. And it's so prescient right now, uh, that film. You see all these ships uh, there in the, well, you got, you got a battleship uh, somewhere off the China Seas right now. You got in the, in the Black Sea. They're all over the place. You saw this coming. You saw this coming, John. <laughs> well, yes. I mean, I saw it coming. Uh, I mean, it's, 
Uh, Britain is doing some truly absurd things, but very dangerous things. It sent a destroyer uh, into the Black Sea uh, to, uh, to apparently to intimidate Russia. Uh, <laughs> the Russians were sort of bemused by this and uh, 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 fired at it and uh, it scampered off. Uh, and they said they may actually uh, fire literally at it if they try that kind of stunt next time. Another, they're trying another stunt in the South China Sea with their new aircraft carrier, which can only operate with American planes and their American flown planes on it. Uh, and that's going to fly into... Uh, in or near Chinese territorial waters in the South China Sea. Uh, uh, what the Chinese do about that, I don't know. But uh, so um, that's what it's come to. This is it's quite uh, demeaning for this country to be doing to be doing these uh, warlike for acts to uh, to to you know, uh, uh, to shaking its, its fist at these uh, nuclear giants. It's very dangerous. Uh, they may decide that uh, they don't wish that ship to be floating anymore and blow it up. Have they thought of that? It's yeah, so yeah. dangerous, so provocative. You, uh, you talked about this, John. Uh, in an interview we did three or four years ago uh, after you wrote a column based on On the Beach by Neville Shute. Uh, and uh, the, what, I mean, it, it's dangerous. I mean, the, the consequences yeah. of just these nuclear armed countries playing footsies violently, this one with, with China and Russia, they're not the ones provoking it. You're, the UK and the US are. Yeah. Yeah, it's all the provocation is coming from here, but that. That is the way uh, US, UK, uh, and its uh, and I so-called allies, that's the way they behave these days. They're like 19th century countries, except the, the UK doesn't have the power it had in the 19th century. Then it had a, a navy that ruled the world. It no longer has that. Uh, but it's it's behaving as if um, people are wearing pith helmets and sailing gunboats around the world and frightening the natives. It's extraordinary to see the US has behaved like this for a long time, uh, always attacking small countries, invading small countries, overthrow their country, always defenseless countries, never countries that they, uh, that would defend themselves. And uh, so they're in so many ways, 19th century countries. Uh, the China is a 21st century country. Uh, I saw recently an uh, excellent interview with Eric Lee, who I interviewed in the coming war on China. And he, it was what a rare interview because Eric explained how, the, how politics worked in China and his view 
of the West. It was a reasonable view. You didn't have to agree with it, but it was informative and reasonable. Uh, and that kind of discussion is almost entirely absent from the media because the media follows the and pa uh, pa uh, panders to these these imperial pretensions. Uh, now, they're not pretensions from the United States. It's a very powerful country with more nuclear weapons than probably than all the others, but it's not the most powerful country anymore. They know that. They know that the US Navy in the South China Sea uh, faces a very formidable weapon in the new missile system in China. So they're being provocative. The Chinese are ready to defend themselves. I believe they won't until it looks like they are act there is an invasion about to happen. I think that's unlikely. Uh, and this, the same is true of Russia, which has all these useless NATO troops up and down its, its border, the very border that Hitler crossed in Operation Barbarossa. So there's so much provocation from our side going on at the moment that we should all be worried and we should all be trying to do something about it. Uh, what we do, we speak out. We speak out, we go into the streets, we make it known, we, we take direct action. Uh, uh, they're always frightened of people, governments, particularly uh, governments that lean towards being autocratic, uh, are always frightened of their peoples. Uh, they're the real enemy because that's what pro propaganda is aimed at. And it's not aimed at their imagined enemies, somewhere else, it's aimed at their own people. So what do we do? We frighten them. We go into the streets. We go to the media. We go outside the media that lie to us and we protest. And we, we, we make our presence felt. Uh, I believe in large numbers, uh, that can make a difference. Not immediately, sometimes, not for a while, but that's us. We have to be known. We have to be, we, we have to stand up to it. But we do what, what you're doing on this program, Randy. We have to, people, we have to hear voices that are, uh, uh, expose this nonsense. Well, I, I'm, I'm of the opinion, I, and of course I've done, there are like 70, um, of the Assange Countdown to Freedom uh, programs on the website uh, and videos and everything. And some people say that I'm obsessive uh, uh, and uh, there are a lot of political prisoners out there. And I, my answer is without someone like Julian Assange out there, how are we gonna know about the other political prisoners? In other words, he was yeah. like, we, we need him. We would know about Leonard Peltier or Mumia yeah. and other political prisoners. If Julian Assange is, finally shut up forever. Who's next? Yeah, this is yeah. a major case. This is right now the trial of the century. Yeah. Well, it's the, the Assange effect. And I, I described uh, a, a Kafkaesque trial in Australia 
the trial of Bernard Colliery uh, and Witness K, the two of them. That is the Assange effect. The, the, also in Australia, the invasion of the Australian Broadcasting Corporation by the Australian Federal Police. In they went uh, and took away files and computers and disks and all the rest of it. Uh, this is the Assange effect. We'll, we'll see it now in, in many countries where people are arrested and prosecuted for uh, thought crimes, in effect, for thought crimes, for disturbing the public order or, um, um, uh, I don't know, if you look at some of the charges against Julian, they're so ridiculous, they've all been made up. Uh, but that's, that's the world we're in. Now, that's why Julian's freedom is so important, because if he gets out, then that throws this whole, it won't make the system, this, this system of, of trying to clamp down on dissidents, won't make it go away, but it sounds a warning. Well, you know, I'm looking at, I'm looking at the case and uh, I look back, uh, you know, first it was the uh, CPS, the Crown Prosecutor Services, yeah. uh, browbeating uh, Marion Nye, uh, the Swedish uh, prosecutor, uh, two di different prosecutors, and elongating, keeping that case alive. Yeah. What they did was was totally immoral and illegal. So I thought that might bring it down when those uh, char when those out. And that came out during uh, Stefania Marizzi's lawsuit. And then well, that, that didn't happen. And then we got UC Global, the illegal spying. I thought, well, maybe, maybe that might bring this to an end. Didn't do it. Now we got the new thing. I want you to talk about the latest of the, uh, and I can't, I don't even know his name. I forgot his name. Uh, the gentleman in Iceland uh, who lied. Can you talk about that? Uh, for a minute. In Thorndon, isn't he? I think yes. his name is Thorndon. I forgot the, uh, yes. yeah, well, he's blown apart. He, his, they, one of the, 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 the one of their so-called charges against Julian is based on this person saying he, uh, uh, Julian had, had uh, 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 you know, in, in invaded the Icelandic government and uh, uh, taken files and, and so on. Uh, all of it were lies. This man is a, a convicted fraudster and uh, he's now fessed up, you know, and others have, that the whole, everything he was saying uh, was, was a fabrication. So that's, that's a good part of their case. Uh, I don't know what their reaction will be, but uh, I'm glad he has. I'm glad that's happened because I imagine it's going to be part of the, the case that we'll hear in the high court. It's, it's, it's just amazing. So you got that. The bottom line is, is that I don't think that it ended. I, I, would, I would hope so. Uh, but the, they don't want this guy out there. They don't want him operating. And I don't, I, I don't think they know what to do. If they lose this case, they don't know what to do uh, because, as I said in the beginning, yeah. they'll lose face if they, okay, we're going to drop the case and we were wrong for the last, since, since uh, these charges are brought up and we appealed it. They'd have to admit that. 
and the government's been lying about this. They'd have to admit all of that. Uh, his crime is, his real crime is exposing uh, the war machine, yeah. the NSA, uh, you know, mass surveillance, the CIA, they're upset. You know, the CIA, they, they, they're worse than elephants. They'll, they never forget. So, uh, you know, with the, um, what were the, what were the um, Vault 7? They're not, not happy with Vault yeah. 7, as you know, and they're not happy yeah. with Cablegate. They're not happy with any of this stuff. Right. And, and so those are really the, not crimes, but that's, that's the offenses he's made. Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, no, that's all, all correct, uh, Randy. I, I'm not a futurist. I can't tell what they think. I don't know what they do, but uh, I know that, that Julian has to be free. He has to be free this year. Justice has to prevail. Uh, the, uh, we've come to a point now, this case is so important. Uh, if, if Julian is extradited to the United States, it's, it's, it's really the, the end of a sense of real freedom. Uh, we can pretend and some of us can imagine we have it, but we will not, no longer be able to seriously dissent. We will no longer uh, have the right to know what governments do in our name. Uh, we've been talking to John Pilger. Thank you very much, John. Uh, we'll be yeah. back. John Pilger, catch him at johnpilger.com. And we'll be back with a few comments after this quick musical break. none other than Nils Melzer. Can you believe it? Nils Melzer playing the piano. Not for me specifically, he plays the piano. I grabbed a piece of music by Nils Melzer, uh, the special rapporteur on torture at the UN, who's been, you know, what do you, a comet or an uh, asteroid. It's just, you see Haley's Comet. You don't see people like this coming around that often. John Brown, uh, was called Melville called John Brown a comet. Uh, by the way, John, John Pilger, I just can't get enough of him. I could I could talk to him every day. I mean, he's got such a beautiful voice. He's so knowledgeable. And go to johnpilger.com, johnpilger.com, and get get his books, read his columns, and you have access a library. It's a library of Alexandria going way back to the Vietnam War, all the way through to the Dirty War on the NHS, his most recent, just unbelievable, all quality stuff and educational. All right, um, this is Assange Countdown to Freedom, AssangeCountdownToFreedom.com. 
please support the station. Um, you know, we uh, are high yield, I think, I'd like to think, and, and, and low cost, high yield. Uh, and, uh, you know, we, we have never made any money off of this show, but we, we are in it for the long haul. And if you could, if you would uh, like to support us, go to Assange Countdown to Freedom.com. I want to thank everybody that has been involved. It is Julian's birthday. Um, write him a letter. Uh, I think at the Assange Defense or Defend Assange uh, website, you can uh, Courage Foundation. Uh, you can find the address. Please send him a late, late um, a birthday a card, or not a card, but you know, a letter. It would really help if you did that. And uh, I want to thank Kelly Lane, Kelly Lane, who uh, is down there. She's the, she's uh, my co-producer. We'll just say that we work together on this show, uh, and we collaborate on it. So I want to thank Kelly Lane. I want to thank uh, the Kunstler, uh, Sarah and Emily Kunstler, who've been helping me out uh, with this show, managing the website, and and uh, Margaret Kunstler, who does all of the um, descriptions of the show and gives me a lot of show ideas as she did from the very beginning it's, uh, through Margaret Kunstler that I even got involved in this Assange um, uh, case. And so uh, I think that's just about it. Uh, we're gonna play, this is um, Leonard Cohen. It's called The Partisan. It's about the Spanish Civil War and uh, it's uh, pretty moving. And so uh, we're gonna go out with uh, Leonard Cohen and we'll um, talk to you soon. Let's get this done, folks. Keep it together. Keep mobilizing. Get on the street. Direct action. You know what to do. See you soon. We poured across the border. I was cautioned to surrender. This I could not do. I took my gun and vanished. I have changed my name so often, I've lost my wife and children, but I have many friends, and some of them are with me. An old woman gave us shelter, kept us hidden in the garret, then the soldiers came. She died without a whisper There were three of us this morning I'm the only one this evening But I must go on The frontiers are my prison Oh, the wind, the wind is blowing Through the graves the wind is blowing Freedom soon will come Then we'll come from shadow
the wind, the wind is blowing Through the graves, the wind is blowing Freedom soon will come Then we'll come from the shadows 